Today we're going to continue on a series that we started two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to see today that God doesn't always do things the way that men would. Now that might come as not much of a shock to some of you, but to some it is. Because we all have a tendency to think, if you think about it, we all have a tendency to think that everybody likes what I like. You know, I like a certain kind of music, and I can't imagine why the rest of you don't like it. I just can't figure that out. My daughter loves country music. I can't imagine why anybody would, you know. I, I mean, I, 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 and steel guitar is just like great on my nerves, you know. And, and, and we all think that way. Listen, don't, you know, we all are like that. My color's the best color. Yeah, I like this kind of car. I mean, we, we all kind of have a tendency to fall into the trap of thinking that the way that I think is really kind of the right way. Otherwise, we'd change it, right? And, and that's okay when you're talking about your favorite color or your favorite kind of music. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to think that way concerning God and his wisdom, uh, we've made some critical errors in our thinking and in our theology. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Remember last week, he talked a great deal about just divisions coming in the church. Some were following this leader and some were wanting to follow this leader and some were following this leader. And it wasn't that they had a favorite leader that they preferred. It was that they were beginning to take sides and beginning to divide over this opinion. And we talked last week about how we shouldn't divide over unimportant opinions especially. But today we're going to see that God doesn't always do things the way that we do them. And we're going to talk about how worldly wisdom is exposed. Listen, God's plan of salvation for us doesn't and cannot make sense in a strictly human way, if you think about that. Now, this doesn't mean that one has to turn their brain off or become totally unintelligent to know God through his son, Jesus Christ, at all. But it does mean that one cannot rely on their own wisdom and their own thinking to understand the things of God, especially concerning the cross and salvation. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to finish the chapter today, verses 18 through 31. And then we'll come back and take it apart kind of piece by piece and see really four main thought ideas that Paul wants us to see here. But let's read through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's see these four principles that Paul wants us to catch here. And the first one is this. The message of the cross is the power of God. By the way, if you want to follow along on your notes, they are in the Fog app that you can get on your phone. And the notes are there. You can fill in the blanks and take extra notes. The message of the cross is the power of God. Let's go back and read just verse 18. And let's see him say this. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Of God. Now, here Paul draws a sharp contrast between those that do not yet know God because they do not understand the cross and those of us who have accepted God's way through the cross. He's drawing a very sharp contrast here. For those who have not accepted as truth and embraced the cross as the way of salvation, they think it's foolishness, they think it's ridiculous. They use their own wisdom to challenge and reject God's wisdom. They think and say, might even speak these terms, why would the cross be God's plan? I wouldn't do it like that at all. That's just dumb. Who who would think of doing it like that? It's interesting that Paul doesn't say the gospel here, but he says the cross. Letting Jesus die on the cross is foolishness to those that don't understand Specifically, that plan of letting Jesus die on the cross is what seems so foolish to people that are far from God. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Why would God do that? I wouldn't do it that way. Who would? That's just crazy. But listen, for those of us who know it, we've accepted it, we've experienced the forgiveness of our sins and freedom from guilt and shame, we understand that the cross is where the power of God gets its power. It gets its oomph, okay? And by the way, if you're taking notes, you want to spell it, it's U-M-P-H, I think, okay? It just, and that's where God's, uh, that's where the cross gets its power. That's where it, it gets the power to change lives. That's where it gets the power to make us different now and, and save us for all of eternity. Folks, it's the truth of the cross that frees us from the penalty of our sin and nothing else. Now, let's be honest. Which one of us would have come up with this plan? In our own human thinking, who would have ever thought, well, you know, those people hate me. They reject me. They spit on me. They, they just treat me cruelly. They, they're so selfish. They don't want to have anything to do with me. But, but I really want to love them. So uh, let me let somebody from my family die. In fact, let me let my, my son die for them. You see why it might seem foolishness to those who don't understand? Because we would never do that. We don't have the character of God. We don't have his love. We don't have his concern for others. We don't have his purity, his holiness. And none of us would come up with that idea. And so let's not be too harsh with them that they see it as foolishness. But let's help to share with them why it's not foolish. Paul continues and says the cross is contrary to man's wisdom. In verses 19 through 25, let's read what it says again. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here Paul's writing to the Corinthians in reaction to their culture of always gaining new wisdom from a new philosopher. If you remember, we've talked about this culture and you know they didn't have great things, great inventions yet like a reality TV or game shows or any of that kind of stuff to take up and waste all of their time. Okay, so they stood around and talked. They stood around and talked to each other and, and people would get up on a stump or a rock and, and, and express some new idea, some new philosophy. And they would talk about how this new philosophy would free their lives and make them better and do all these great and wonderful things. And this is happening all the time. There was always a new philosopher ready to make one wise in some new way. But the answer to man's problems, folks, have never ever been found in philosophical or psychological terms and they never will be that's not the answer to man's deepest problems okay now i'm not saying that we shouldn't seek to understand more about the way that we think and the way that we act and and all of those kind of things i'm not saying that going to counseling is is not maybe beneficial at certain times in your life it can be But any counseling outside of God's word and apart from God's wisdom, folks, is just more man-made drivel. And if you don't like me because I said that, I'm sorry. I like you. But listen, folks, man has never been able to solve his problems, ever, in all of history. Why? It's really funny that as we become more educated, it's almost like the smarter we get, the dumber we get right? Because this culture, our culture now, you know, we, we get so intellectual, we get so smart, we're, we're so advanced, we're so progressive that now we, we've reached this new height of intelligence where we can solve our own problems. No, we can't. Listen, I'm telling you, I understand there are people with deep psychological issues that, that need some real professional help. I get that. But when you look at the number of people in our society who are on psych meds, who are going to counselors all over the place that offer them ridiculous things to do. Folks, I think, I, I just, this is just my opinion here, I think that the majority of people in our culture are doing just like the people in Corinth. They're turning to man-made solutions for eternal problems that man can't solve. God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. Paul goes on to describe the two main specific groups of the day and, and why the preaching of the cross seems foolish to them. He says the Jews, God's people, they had their focus on looking for a Messiah as a political savior. He was, he was going to be one whose signs and wonders and miracles brought him some kind of power and position in the culture. Someone to bring judgment to the Gentiles and blessing to God's people through the power structure of man. So to suggest to them that this Messiah that they were looking for, that they'd already preconceived in their minds, was going to be a humble servant, a carpenter's son, a preacher-teacher who was killed, who gave his life up 
on their behalf was so contrary to that perceived notion, they couldn't wrap their heads around it. Like, that can't be him. That, can't, that is not who we're looking for. That is not the guy. For the Greeks, who were always seeking new wisdom and new ideas and new thought processes and plans, for them, the idea of the cross being the path for uh, the God-man Jesus to reach out and save us was just simply ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all. They were relying on their own thinking process. Why would God choose such a plan and such a path? They wouldn't. Why would he? But folks, at the heart of both of these groups of people, even though they have very different reasons on the outside for rejecting God's plan, uh, the real source is their own egos and their own pride. I know a better way. This can't be God's way because I wouldn't do it like that. Folks, as soon as we begin to think in our minds, this, I read something in God's word that can't be right because I wouldn't do it like that. We're, we need to just step back, take a little inventory and go, wait a minute. I'm not approaching this the right way. God is always right. Everything that I believe and know is suspect until God either confirms it or rejects it. God is in control. God is always right. We are not. And so they were basically saying, I have a better way, and so I wouldn't do it this way. I can't possibly believe the gospel. I can't possibly believe in the cross because it's just such a, 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 a procedure that I couldn't think of on my own. Folks, when we begin to think that our thinking and acting is above God's, we're in trouble. In verse 25, where Paul says the foolishness of God is wiser than men, he doesn't mean that God is ever foolish, okay? He's not saying, hey, when, when God is his, you know, most foolish, that's still above men's, you know, best. No, no, God's never foolish. He's talking about what's seemingly foolish. He, he's saying, you know, when they view the gospel, when they view the cross, and it seems foolish, even God in all of his seemingly foolishness is still better than man's best plan because man can't have a plan to bridge the gap for our sin. And so I don't want you to think that God's ever foolish. He's not. But his plan is seemingly foolish. And that leads us to our third point. God used a seemingly foolish way so he could humble the proud. You see, God didn't just choose this way at random. His mind is so much more complex than that. His being is so much more complex than what we could even understand. He uses this way of the cross that seems to be foolishness to mankind for a purpose so he could humble the proud. Look what it says again in verses 26 through 29. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and, and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did God choose the plan of the cross? Couldn't his, his plan of salvation more mirrored the plans of man? Wouldn't that help us to recognize and accept uh, his great wisdom better if he would have just done it the way we would have done it? No. No, it wouldn't have. In fact, the opposite is true. 
Now, Paul's not trying to insult the believers at the church in Corinth. He's not trying to insult us. But what he's saying here is this. God has chosen the ordinary to make foolish the wisdom of men. He always does that. He's saying, hey, hey, folks at Corinth, you maybe aren't the smartest. You maybe aren't the prettiest. You maybe aren't the strongest or the ones with the most power or position or popularity in the culture. But the cross doesn't choose based on man-made values. The cross chooses based on God's heart and who he's reaching out to. In other words, if God only chose the people that society saw as important or valuable, man's wisdom and God's wisdom would be the same. And we would have even a greater problem thinking, oh, we're just like God because we came up with the same plan. We'd always be wondering and debating in our own minds if this thought was from God or if it was from us. But God's plan of the cross and salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is available to all men and women. And it seems that God calls many more of the common than he does the culturally elite. Now, that doesn't mean he loves the common more. Listen, when, when you are the prettiest, it's hard to humble yourself to believe you need God from what I've heard, okay? <laughs> but think about that. If, if, when you think that you're one of the elite, it's very hard to believe that, that you could be humble enough to accept that. But for those of us who probably are most common in society, it seems like God reaches out to us in a greater way. I think he's reaching out to all, but maybe, maybe we just need him more. I don't know. It's God's plan, not mine. I don't fully understand it. Okay? But he does seem to reach out to those who are common. But listen, that's always been God's way. Think about it. He took a common fisherman and a tax collector and made him disciples. He took a man with a significant drinking problem like Noah and saved mankind from a flood. He used an adulterer and murderer like David to be king. He took a stutterer like Moses to be the spokesman for his people. See, God is constantly using and calling the common to be part of his kingdom and do the incredibly uncommon things because it humbles the masses. Now, I don't understand this all completely, but I will tell you that when on Facebook, when people from my high school find out that I'm a pastor today, they're like, really? That, I would have never thought that. In a hundred years, I would have never thought that. And I'm like, I don't know how to take that exactly, but I, I kind of get it. Okay, I was a little ornery, a little troublemaker in, in high school. I know you can't imagine that. But... But it's really interesting, and, and I think about this concept whenever they respond that way. I think, isn't that just like God, to take kind of a troublemaking, you know, ornery kid who's really out to, you know, cause, no, no, not big trouble, no, no, mostly misdemeanors, okay? <laughs> but somebody nobody would ever suspect, ever suspect would be a pastor. And God does some things like that. He just does those kind of things all the time, folks. If only great speakers were preachers, it'd be because of them, because of their great oratory abilities. If only the smartest, prettiest, strongest, and most influential people were being saved by God, it would probably leave some of us out and in big trouble, and it would give them even bigger heads. Even, even though they're the prettiest, now they're the only saved, right? 
But see, folks, the cross, the cross saves everyone who turns to it. Not out of deserving it or earning it, because we can't, but because of their humility enough to know they need it. Most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we are Christians already, if we've already turned to Christ and put our faith and trust in him, that means that at some point in our life, we were able to look in the mirror and be just a little bit honest with ourselves, forget for a moment who we think we are, be really honest with ourselves and say, oh, that's really who I am, and go, man, do I need a savior? Man, am I just messed up? Do I need Jesus to come and change me and to save me from my sins? That kind of humility isn't easy for everybody. But it's necessary to know God. By the way, he's the one that opens our hearts and our minds to that. So Paul talks about how this seemingly foolish way is, is really to humble the proud. And then he ends this section talking about all boasting about our salvation should be in the Lord. All boasting about our salvation should be in the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 30 and 31 again. It says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now he's not saying don't boast, don't be a boaster. He's not saying that. You know, many times we read these things and we get a little confused on what they say. Uh, like uh, the passage, judge not lest you be judged. That passage is actually teaching to judge. It's quoted all the time as, as we shouldn't judge one another. No, it's actually saying we should judge one another, but do it righteously. If you have a two by four in your own eye, don't talk to somebody else about the splinter. Then it goes on to say, but first take the two by four out of your eye, then you can see clearly to help them. Okay. And so here he's saying, he's saying, look, if you're going to boast about something, don't boast about yourself, boast about your salvation in Jesus. We can actually boast about our salvation, but we boast about the Lord saving us, not us deserving to be saved. Listen, biblical humility is not the denial of truth for the sake of looking humble. Now, we practice this as Christians all the time, and it, it just drives me crazy, uh, especially being around musicians a lot. Uh, you know, if you came up to uh, uh, Brian, the guy who led our worship today, and you said, man, Brian, you did a great job today. That was awesome. If he went like this, oh, shucks, it wasn't that good. It was, I don't know, I've done better. I, I missed a few chords and, you know, missed some words. And yeah, I did, I, uh, thanks, but I didn't really do. That's not humility, folks. That's, that's silliness, okay? That's what we have gotten in our heads as, as humility, Humility is understanding the truth. Listen, if you think you did a great job today, tell him you did a great job today, and he should say, thank you very much. I did do a good job today because Christ is in me, and he's given me these talents and gifts and this ability, and he's helped me today. You see, it's not, it's not about I'm great because of it. It's because God is great in me. That's where humility, humility is not the lack of greatness, the lack of worth. That's not humility. Biblical humility is understanding your worth, understanding your value because Christ died for you and he lives in you and he uses you. And he gets all the credit for it. We get none of it except to allow him to use us. And Paul's kind of saying the same principle here. Biblical humility around your salvation is not going, man, I, whew, man, I hope I go to heaven when I die. 
when you say that, you've, you concern me. When you say, man, if, if anything happens to me, I, I hope I'm going to heaven. When you say that, a little red flag goes up in my mind that you don't know what's going to happen. Now, listen, I know Pastor Derek's going to tell you I'm going on sabbatical here, but I don't do that for a whole week. So if you're saying that, you contact me this week because I don't want to go another five weeks without talking to you about that. Okay? Listen, I know for a fact that when I die, I'm going to heaven, period, flat out. I can't even change that if I wanted to. Listen, when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old, his, his spirit came into me. I was born into the family of God. I can't be unborn. That's why Jesus talked in John 3 about being born again. He's trying to help us understand you didn't join a club. Okay, you didn't, you didn't sign up for something. You were birthed into a family, a spiritual family of God, and you can never be unbirthed. You can disappoint, frustrate, anger your parents, and we can disappoint, frustrate, and anger God, but you can't be unborn from your parents. Nothing you can do can get their, birth, their name off your birth certificate, and nothing we can do can get God's name off our spiritual birth certificate. But what Paul's saying is here is, listen, if you want to boast, boast in him, not in you. I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven. And when people hear that and they think, wow, you're really conceited. No, I'm not conceited at all. I'm doing that because I'm a knucklehead and God still loves me and saved me. It's him. It's him that saved me, not me. Okay? We got to get this thinking out of our minds that sneaks in sometimes that frankly, God is a little lucky to have me on his team. Okay? No, God's not lucky to have us on his team. We are incredibly blessed that somebody somewhere sometime shared the cross with us and God opened our eyes and God opened our hearts to the truth so that we could know him. We could accept the greatest truth the world has ever known with wisdom that comes from God rather than man. We aren't, God's not lucky to have us on his team. We are incredibly blessed to be a part of his family. And when we talk about it that way, folks, we're not boasting in us. We're boasting in him. In fact, if you think about it, the worse you are, the better he is, the better he looks. <laughs> you know? I mean, if God has saved you from a reckless, horrible life, good for him. He did great stuff. And I think about that sometimes when I look in the mirror and I get really honest with myself of who I really, 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 really am deep down. And I say, God, you're awesome because I wouldn't have saved me. Listen, don't be frustrated with your friends. If they aren't ready to receive and embrace the idea of the Savior of the world, dying on a cross for them. If they have worldly thinking, if God hasn't yet opened their minds and their hearts, uh, we still need to share it with them because God's waiting to use us to share it with them. But if their minds and their hearts aren't open to it, if they're not humble enough to receive it, they're going to think that it's foolishness. But listen, don't walk away feeling like you've been foolish. You're not foolish for sharing the gospel. They think it's foolishness, but it's not. We know that it's the power of God. Until they humble themselves enough and God opens their eyes and their hearts to the gospel, to the cross, God's plan, It'll always be viewed as foolish. But praise be to God who chose to confound the wisdom of men by saving and using common people like us to be his children and know him through the cross. 
Now listen, if you're here today and you legitimately are saying, I don't really know if I died, if I'd go to heaven. I'd like to think I would. I, I hope I do, but I don't really know. Folks, you can know. You can know from God's word what he says, what he promises. You can know. And so don't leave here today without talking to one of the pastors or one of the leaders here saying, I just need to talk to somebody. Listen, you should leave this building today knowing that God forbid, you know, whatever happens, you're ready for it. You're, uh, somebody asked me coming into the second service, they said, I know you're going on sabbatical. They said, uh, now you're coming back, right? I said, well, that's my intention. <laughs> and, and I thought about this. That's my intention, but, you know, if I get a little too close to the side of that ship and Julie just turns right, <laughs> who knows what will happen? <laughs> Oops. I don't know. But listen, folks, I, 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 we love you here. We love you. And we want all of you to know Jesus as your Savior. We want you to experience, not just know, but experience God's forgiveness, experience a closeness with him, experience the freedom from your guilt and your shame that will keep you in bondage for your whole life. We want you to experience that. And God has chosen to do something that seems foolish to mankind, to give his son to die. But seeing us in our sinfulness, he loved us enough to say, somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to pay for that. Now, you can pay for it yourself if you want, but I would encourage you not to. I would strongly encourage you not to because God said, I want to take care of that. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. It wouldn't be our plan, but it was his plan, and it's a great plan. And just by putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you, you can receive that gift, and it'll change your life and your eternity. Don't hesitate. Don't leave today not knowing where you will go when you die and not experiencing God right here, right now. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for your word and your spirit that guide us. Father, help us to always uh, just do our very best to be humble enough to be conformed to your word, conform our thinking, conform our behavior. Uh, we know we aren't perfect. We continue to go our own way sometimes. But God, help us to overcome that. Father, we are thankful that at some point somebody shared the gospel, the cross with us. And at that time, you were opening our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word and of your plan of salvation for us. God, we thank you for that. We are blessed. Help us never get conceited about that and think that you're really lucky to have us but God, to really understand and believe how incredibly blessed we are to know you. God, help us spread the word of that. We don't know who it is you're, you're, you're influencing. We don't know who it is that you are wooing to yourself, that you are drawing to yourself. And so, Father, help us to be uh, the kind of people that share the gospel with everybody around us. We tell everybody about the cross. And those who are being drawn by you uh, can then know it and give their lives to you. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to boast in you and you alone. You are a good God. You are a God who loves us and cares about us and, and sacrificed your son for us. God, help us to boast in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.